Morning, Glory, and evening, Grace, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on Friday. When I'm not in Colorado, I'm at the Kirby Center, Hillsdale uh, Center in Washington, D.C., where Dr. Larian has installed this amazing equipment. Uh, he joins me now from California, where he's been lazing about in the sun while the rest of us freeze on the East Coast. And uh, Dr. Arn, welcome. Good to talk to you. I decided I'd be spoiled a little bit like you are. Well, I, I'm I'm very jealous of you being in California. What took you out there? Were you doing Hillsdale uh, meet and greet fundraisers? We had a reception last night at at the, in Costa Mesa, and we had 900 people here. It was ridiculous. But I wasn't there. That's not possible. You only yeah. get those numbers when I'm there. Well, the numbers that we grew with uh, that we drew in Phoenix were higher than that with you. They were about 80 <laughs> people or 100 people, people higher. Which my, means my that's yeah, that's what people want, My is the free food. So what did you talk about to the Costa Mesa people? I talked about um, uh, the college eruptions and the terror war and their connection. And that is exactly why we're going to postpone our consideration of Dr. Ryan's brand new book, Churchill's Trial, Chapter 4, scheduled for the Hillsdale Dialogue this week. But between the college disruptions, the attack in Paris, the subsequent uh, arrests later in the week, the other threats around the world, I thought we'd spend this Hillsdale dialogue talking about the here and the now, the present, as opposed to 2,000, 2,500, or even 50 years ago, Dr. Arndt. So let's just, I want to turn the floor over to you. What to make of what is going on on college campuses across America before we turn to what's going on in the, in the diseased minds of terrorists? Well, it's a it's a collapse that, if it continues, will mean a collapse in civilization itself. Um, uh, colleges uh, began a kind of nihilistic turn uh, in the in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, and I'll give a quote that'll explain it. Uh, Frank Goodnow, founder of the American Political Science Association, president of Johns Hopkins, wrote in an essay that you can read in our Constitution Reader. We professors. Uh, take ourselves too seriously sometimes, because really what our students will eventually think will be dictated by the economic and other circumstances that prevail in the future. Now, if you think about that, first of all, that's a horrifying thing for for a teacher to say. What's the value of his life? But second, it it impugns the learning uh, enterprise, right? It doesn't matter what you learn. In the end, you'll just be affected by your environment. Right. And that is connected, of course to the great effort in modern historicism and liberalism to try to dictate or govern or administer everything in the environment. If you really want to have an impact, change all the conditions of society. And so government becomes a vast engineering project. And, and so what are these groups saying, right? First of all, there are these microaggressions. And that means somebody, an example is somebody wore, two girls wore a sombrero and some mustaches to a party on Halloween. And so this is an atmosphere of hate and racism against all marginalized groups. At Claremont McKenna College, and my dear friend and yours, Charles Kessler, has a really great essay in the Wall Street Journal this morning about what's going on there. You know, the president there organized his own sit-in <laughs> in his own in his own office. It's remarkable. It is. I mean, you can't believe it. And uh, and there are like 20 groups that are marginalized and require changes in the curriculum, so courses everyone has to take, uh, general education courses in all this gender and, and race study and ethnicity study and culture study, um, 
so they want to remake the university and they got and they want to have a say in hiring more people who are sympathetic to that and that's raging across the campus and in my opinion that connects to the terror war in this reason what is this isis thing islamic state of iraq and syria and uh, sometimes it's called ISIL, Obama started calling it that, and that means Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, which is a wider area than Iraq yep. and Syria. That's why Lindsey Graham insists on using ISIL. He wants people to understand they want it all. Yeah, and I, you know, that means, you know, the, it means the, the seaboard, the, 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 the land near the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And and uh, so, so what is this thing? Well, first of all, it's uh, there's a guy named Scott Altran who happens to be known to an old friend of mine from Pocahontas, Arkansas, and I I got onto him by this. But he's a very serious figure, and he's got a long article recently in the New York Review of Books. You can read what's going on with these people. How are they recruiting? Western, especially Westerners, are flocking to these to to the cause of ISIS, and and the thing is. It's a grand and glorious cause that wants to remake the world and give meaning to life. And it's part of the emptiness that came into the American intellectual life with historicism. And that's, that's Frank Goodnow, right? After all, if you believe what he believes, what would you ever mean by a great book? What would be the use of me and you, Hugh, talking about great books and great events of the past? It would be a circus act. That, it would be a carnival. It leaves you empty, see? And so there's a kind of emptiness in the West, and ISIS is filling it. Now, and, uh, your, your friend and mine, not mine, I've only met him, Francis Fukuyama, but I'm sure he's your friend, wrote a book, The End of History, in which he said, no, 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 look, we, we've won now, and the world will fill up with the good things of the West. Is it that the cupboard was bare when we won? You know, I, I, I like you, I've um, only met him, I respect him, he's a very serious guy. But isn't that a foolish thing to say? Um, you know, Churchill, uh, in one of his books, quotes a, a great British statesman at the end of the 19th century, and he says, my boy, he says, nothing really ever happens. And Churchill's response to that was, since then, nothing has ceased to happen. <laughs> 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 when was that from? Because <laughs> that's what we're living in right now, right? That's why I'm looking at Jake Tapper in Paris, because nothing ceases to happen. I'm telling you, it's, you know, things are going on now, right? And, and you know, in, in, in Europe, they have to have immigration. Their populations will decline without it. And yet the immigrants that are coming are, many of them at least, out of sympathy with the great institutions and thoughts of the West, many of them at least, right? And so the point is, this is to be seen as a crisis in our civilization, and we have to fight, and we have to recover our understanding and belief in order to do it. And no, I want to talk on. about our commander-in-chief here in a moment, but, but, but preface it by saying on Wednesday of this week... Five alleged Syrians were detained in Honduras carrying Greek passports headed our way. Uh, that's the backdrop to these three statements by President Obama. I want to play them all uh, for you, Dr. On Cut number 13. What I'm not interested in doing is posing 
uh, or pursuing some notion of American leadership or America winning or whatever other slogans are come, uh, they come up with um, that has no relationship to what is actually going to work to protect the American people uh, and to protect uh, people in the region who are getting killed and to protect our allies and people like France. I'm too busy for that. I'll come back to the other two after the break. I want to give you a minute and a half to that. Posing and postures, slogans, uh, mocking people who declare America should lead or that America should win, Dr. Arn. What do you make of that? Well, it's a, you know, first of all, it's a fight and it's coming to us. And, you know, I mean, it has come to us, right? And, and the fight is very dangerous to us for a, a variety of reasons. But the key one is... We've been at war for a long time now, and, and continuous war is a threat to liberal society because everything gets regimented, right? And like right now, there's, you know, the debate has shifted this morning. I was watching the news in order to get ready to talk to Hugh Hewitt, who commands so much of my time. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and now, you know, we're going to unlock the cell phones. Uh, because we can't track these guys. And the government, senior officials in the FBI and other places, find people, I'm confident, I mean it, uh, these people are, and they just need access, right? They need to know about our phone calls, about phone calls of suspected people. And so we're locking up our cell phones, and that's very popular. People love cell phones that don't get tracked all the time because they're being tracked all the time by commercial companies and maybe the government. So the point is... The capacity exists to watch everything today. And that means that liberalism, the, 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 the room to move around and do what you want, is in danger. This is a major theme of Winston Churchill's life. So we need two things. We need to fight this war in a way that has the maximum economy behind it. And it won't be economical, but the maximum economy. And we need to get it over with if we can. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn. I'm calling this the White Ant Hour of the Hugh Hewitt Show. I'll explain why when we return. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hilltale Dialogue on the Hugh Hewitt Show. 21 minutes at the hour, America, at the end of a very long and eventful week, a uh, week after Paris was in flames. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest on this, the Hillsdale Dialogue. All of the Hillsdale Dialogue is available at hugh4hillsdale.com. And everything that Hillsdale offers at hillsdale.edu. I'm calling this the White Ant Hour of the Hugh Hewitt Show because Churchill predicted there are forces at work in the West that want to turn us into white ants, and there are forces at work throughout the world in the form of radical Islamists who want to find out how best to eradicate all the white ants, uh, Dr. R. We, we are in a problem here. Well, what, what Churchill meant by that was um, he, he, he applies that. Uh, he says there's, there's no, and this is a paraphrase, it's in an in a essay by, called Mass Effects in Modern Life that Churchill wrote in 1931. He says there's a, the Bolshevik system has invented no economic or political principle that has not been uh, carried into effect and, and uh, perfected through evolution by the society of the white ant. And he, and he later says, not bees, because it can't make any honey. It's just termites, right? And, and, uh, and then he says that this is only an extreme form of a tendency that's happening in the Western countries, too. And, and so 
what is this tendency? It is the idea, see, that everything can be managed by scientific administration from a central source. And that's, you know, that is the, that is the combat, right? Are we yeah. going to have a centralized bureaucratic administrative state, or are we going to have a decentralized constitutional government? And that's the great question, right? And, and, and Churchill thought that our strength in the West comes from our constitutional nature. That is, each person is an agent of his own care and is a citizen of the care of his neighborhood and his community and his country. And so just look at this. You know, one, one part of the terror war is the terror war coming here. And the problem with it is the strategic problem it presents, you know, in France or in Washington or in New York, wherever it happens, is that uh, seven or eight people with a machine gun can kill 150. And they could pop up anywhere and do it. And, you know, are you, are you going to have... SWAT cops everywhere and insufficient force to stop this from happening? And the answer is, you're not. You can't. It's, it's, it's the reason it's very hard to defend a long frontier, because the aggressor can attack anywhere, and for you to cover everywhere, you can't have much force anywhere. So the answer is something natively American, right? The militia. The militia. We have a lot of people with concealed carry weapons uh, permits, and most of those have been trained in some way or another. Well, what if you made that training more serious and you deputed people? You deputized them, you know? Maybe it's time to organize a posse. And, and uh, reminds me of that great Larson Car- Farside cartoon. There's a, the sheriff is looking outside, and there's a big gaggle of horses and men all piled up. And he says, no, no, you have to organize the posse. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to tell you, organizing any posse, though, is that, that presumes coherence in the West. There was a statement yeah. put out by the president of Yale on Wednesday. I want to read two paragraphs to our audience. Educating our community about race, ethnicity, diversity, and inclusion begins with the university's leadership. I, along with the vice president's deans, provost, and other members of the administration, will receive training on recognizing and combating racism and other forms of discrimination in the academy. Similar programs will be provided to department chairs, directors of graduate and undergraduate studies, masters and deans, student affairs staff all across the university. That's cut number one. We've got show trials underway and and the appropriate self-recrimination. But he goes on to say, finally, many of you have asked with renewed interest about the names of the new residential colleges that are coming to Yale, as well as the name of Calhoun College. In the next year, the Yale Corporation will be deciding the names of the two new colleges that will open in August 2017. I have asked the corporation's senior fellows to organize meetings with several other fellows at which community members can express their views both about the names for the new colleges and about Calhoun. Corporation fellows value and will continue to hold in person and making other discussions as they move forward. Now, Dr. Arn, because of these programs, in fact, I wouldn't mind if they buried the name Calhoun. But I greatly fear the process underway at Yale is one that will be repeated everywhere. And if if there is a stock exchange on colleges, I would only be buying Hillsdale, Colorado Christian, Biola, William Jessup, small places that with defensible uh, boundaries. Yeah, well, it, you know, first of all, I don't like John Calhoun. That guy was a a nut, a dangerous nut. 
and he was one of the apostles of the rise of the idea that slavery is a good thing in America. Yep. So that's one thing, right? But it's also true that the way that the Civil War was settled, to the extent it was settled successfully, was the way of forgiveness. And, and also, we're to be fellow citizens with each other. Think of the end of Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. And so now an activity to go back and obliterate all that history. I mean, if, if there was a building named Calhoun Building at Hillsdale College named after John C. Calhoun, which is an impossibility, by the way, because we were enemies of John Calhoun back then. Every single male student in the college, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, first of all, I'd be embarrassed about it. And at yeah. a minimum, I wouldn't talk much about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> it but, but, uh, and, you know, I'd be looking for a way to get rid of it. So I don't mind if they get rid of it. But I also think, what is the, what is the temper in which we get rid of it? That you can draw one of two lessons from the example of John C. Calhoun, you know, who was, by the way, John C. Calhoun was a very important man and in many senses a great man. A vice president, a secretary of state. Unfortunately, his political theory is reprehensible. Very much, yeah. But, you know, parts of him, like he was for, the, he was for building a great nation. He was for the union. He was for internal improvements. You know, he wanted all that stuff. Later, uh, people than him in, who led the Confederacy were against a lot of that stuff, of course, especially the Union. But so there's a lot of good in Calhoun, at least in his policies. But gracious, he was a scientific evolutionary utopian. And that makes him, by the way, one of the predecessors of the evolutionary thought that dominates the intellectual world today. But do you think they'll ever get to that at Yale? They will not get there. Yeah, they will they will sit around in a circle and do show trials. It'd be really it, great it, if they'd uh, change that building's name to Abraham Lincoln. Or wouldn't it, oh, wouldn't it be Yeah, amazing? but they won't do that and Or and, Ronald uh, Reagan College. Yeah, that'd be good. And they and but but they you know, but you see this remember that the reason this stuff is particularly disastrous in my opinion in a college is that the word college means partnership. It's supposed to be two, two steps. It takes two steps. One is you agree to study in order to build your character to a state of virtue and your intellect to a state of wisdom. That's the goal. And there are certain practices that you have to have to do that. That's the first step. Agree all of that as one, all us human beings with the God-giving capacity to undertake that, right? Be, step two uh, is... Now, wait, what's the... Wait, what's the... Wait, step two's got to wait till after the break. Talking to Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Hillsdale is Latin for lifeboat America. I'll be right back. 34 minutes after the hour, America, the Hillsdale Dialogue continues at the end of a tumultuous week that began a week ago with, with mass slaughter in Paris. They've gone through the week with arrests and all sorts of of acrimony in the West and the president shouting, and I'll come to that in a moment, and on America's campuses, a meltdown. We went to break, Dr. On, you're going to say the second thing we need to do. After you establish the unity that makes a college possible, and remember the word college and the word university are both words that, that indicate a common project among all, then the second thing you do is you get to arguing, but you argue toward the building of a friendship. And so what we're doing today is we're playing out this doctrine that started with the with you know Hegel and the, the 19th century historicist movement 
comes to America through Frank Goodnow and John Dewey and Woodrow Wilson. And that idea is that our understanding is compromised by our experiences. And among and the experiences that are that are red hot today, uh, we've gone from uh, the left has gone from a focus on property, uh, which it it retains, to a focus on race, which it retains, and now a focus on sex. And so that's about all three things, right? And so the great you know the the gender identity list of evils is very long right there's you know there's a hundred ways to demonstrate against somebody's sexual identity because there's many of those now right yes and so, and so this these things that are to be uh, eradicated but also respected you see what they do is they break the university into a diversity and I invite the listeners to just look up those two words. The etymologies are roots of university and diversity, and see if they think they are compatible. Even at the same time that the president pretends to care about unity, let me play for you cut number 15, Dr. Ryan. When I hear folks say that, well, maybe we should just admit the Christians, but not the Muslims. When I hear political leaders suggesting that there would be a religious test for which person who's fleeing from a war-torn country is admitted? When some of those folks themselves come from families who benefited from protection when they were fleeing political persecution? That's shameful. That's not American. That's not who we are. Dr. Arn, he's saying that he's for unity, but in fact he's pressuring diversity in its worst idea. Well, the main thing is um, uh, nobody has a right to come to the United States of America. Every legal community has a right to control its own borders. And so today, Paul Ryan, who's, by the way, very refreshing the last couple of days, uh, I'm not surprised about that. He's saying we should have a pause, that we should not have a religious test. We should have a security test. He said that yep. on the floor of the House this morning. And he said that, uh, and he said that uh, uh, the, the, the executive branch should certify that somebody is safe before they let them in. And, you know, they don't have any means of doing that right now. And so... It would be for the executive branch, it would be for the president of the United States to get off his duff with the great power that he's got and figure out a way to help these people safely to the American people. And, and instead they say, well, we're looking as hard as we can, which means not looking very hard, it sounds Not like. looking very hard. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, last night there was a meeting between uh, Ryan has put together this task force of several heads of committees in Congress that deal with security, internal and external. And they met with some guys from the Homeland Security Department and the FBI, I think. And they asked them a lot of questions, and they didn't like the answers they got. Now, this would be the specific function of Congress in overseeing the executive branch to figure out if what they're doing makes sense. And, and, and that way, that is how we have a government that has checks and balances in it. And so the president, of course, lashes out at him. It's his business, right? He's fighting his political battles. Let him fight him. 
but he's lashing out at him, saying that, that he's calling him every kind of bad thing. And he's saying, let him in, right? Well, should we let him in? If the question is, should we help them, to the limit of our ability, we should surely do that. We should do that. And it would be for the most powerful man in America, the president, to figure out a way to do that that answers all the questions. That, and and that to, in fact, advance... To advance doing that, he would have to say, my Republican friends have many legitimate concerns, which I will address in the following ways. That's how you would. That's how Lincoln would do it. And I I mean, that's how he tried to do it in the second inaugural. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry on. I've got to play from the most amazing President Obama quote of a terrible week. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. You're listening on The Hugh Hewitt Show. 44 minutes after the hour, America, with Dr. Larry on. We put aside our study of his brand new book, Churchill's uh, Trial, in order to focus on the trial of the West underway and the trial of the American political system. Dr. Arn, I had extended conversations this week with Chris Christie and Marco Rubio, both of whom bristled at the idea that the president is attributing to them anti-American, as did Ted Cruz. He said, I'm, you know, I'm glad that he can insult me, as did any you know, principled person who's concerned about security. My question actually goes to motive, because the pres- you know, if Lincoln wanted to heal, he would invite healing with uh, candor as to why there could not be healing. Contrast that with President Obama in the Philippines on Tuesday, cut number 18. These are the same folks oftentimes who suggest that they're so tough that uh, just talking to Putin or staring down ISIL or using some additional rhetoric somehow is going to solve the problems out there. Uh, but apparently they're scared of widows and orphans coming into the United States of America as part of our tradition of compassion. At first, they were worried about the press being too tough on them during debates. Now they're worried about three-year-old orphans. That doesn't sound very tough to me. They've been playing on fear in order to try to score political points or to advance uh, their campaigns. Uh, And it's irresponsible. And it's contrary to who we are. And it needs to stop because the world is watching. Larry Arn, he is referencing um, a conversation on this show that I had with Governor Christie where I asked, hypothetically, would you allow in three-year-old orphans? And and maybe I said five-year-old orphans. And Chris Christie said, no, look, you, there are 18 million hypotheticals. and, And right now we have to stop and figure out what we're doing. And then after he made that speech, Marco Rubio said, this is a president for whom everything always focuses on the petty. And I, you know, I, I thought Rubio hit a home run with that. That's exactly what he is. He's petty. Yeah, well, I'll add something to that, and that is, uh, back in the day when we had a unified country and we had public officials who respected that above their own career, President of the United States, Presidents of the United States, did not go abroad and lodge and, uh, partisan attacks on their opponents in front of people abroad, especially in time of war. Oh, it's the reverse. We used to have a rule that when the president was abroad, no one would criticize him here. Now the new rule is when the president is abroad, he will criticize everyone here. Yeah, and see, that's that's just, uh, you know, the sin of Woodrow Wilson in the Paris talks that ended World War I was that he didn't consult with the Republicans, but he didn't go over there and upbraid them. And so, and, there, and you know, Franklin Roosevelt, by the way, and better Harry Truman, built the, the American structure of international security through consultation with the Republicans, in the, mostly in the minority, in Congress. 
And so this is, this is wrong-headed in a big way. And, and you know, what, what you say about that, I mean, I could go show you how Franklin Roosevelt talked about things like that, was, of course, we have a free country. We're having debates about everything. But I can assure you that America is going to play a great part in all of this and a leading part. If he'd say that and shut up, that'd be enough. So the, the question becomes how to respond to this rhetoric and how to respond to the, the uh, outbursts at Yale and Missouri and other places where people are, are, are quite frankly afraid for their jobs. You know, thank God for tenure at some of these institutions. But I, I do wonder whether or not this can be sustained either with a president who is so feckless or a university elite that is so clueless. Well, it's, uh, you know, you got to... People have to ask themselves how do they want their kids to grow up, and uh, you know, you you you. It, this is this is the opposite way that education has been carried on, you know, for centuries. What we're doing now, and and it's you know, uh, Roger Kimball wrote in the Wall Street Journal a very good uh, article that refers to cry bullies. <laughs> And microaggressions, right? Cry bullies, so yeah, people can understand. Bullies. Cry. You did that in your Arkansas accent, so it went over the head of many people, like I Tom see. Cotton frequently yeah. does. Yeah, so they're crying all the time, right? But they're bullies, too, because they're yep. not, you know, they're complaining about microaggressions, but, you know, they're getting people fired and ending their careers and calling People whose lives have been names. dedicated to the good. People whose lives have been invested in the improvement of young people. People who are unquestionably public servants are being ruined by 18 to 22 year olds who do not really understand what they're doing. Yeah. And I and see I don't some of those guys I think they're just doing they're not doing a good job by my lights. But never mind. You know, one of the things about a college campus is at Hillsdale College, we don't have rules against racial slurs or gay slurs. We have rules against slurs. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be civil with each other. And we don't really have rules about that. If somebody is uncivil with somebody, we call them in and say, what's that about? We're supposed to be doing that? And, you know, the reaction, you know, in 99.9% .9 of the cases is, sorry about that, won't do it again. And so you need, to, you need latitude to argue, but you're supposed to be respecting each other while you do it. And these places are, you know, it's just a kind of a combat for control of the place is what's going on. And that disrupts the work of the place, and that's what's so sad about this. No, at last, with our two minutes left, that is sad. That might be remedied because I think the American people are with you, Larry Arn, and with Hillsdale and with others who stand with you. But that's an internal issue about this war, which is metastasizing. What do you think is happening here? What's the near term and the immediate, intermediate term? We need to get ourselves organized to fight these guys. Because there are a lot of them, and they're taking over a part of the world that gives them a base to spread assassination and, and death all over the world. And so we need, and as I say, first of all, identify the enemy, right? These people are tyrants, and they are murderers. And, so, and then the second thing is figure out where they are weak and hit them there. And another thing is these steps, you know, I would get the American people involved, large numbers of them, involved in the defense of the homeland of the United States. You know, it's so, interesting. 
The, t- Ted Koppel's new book, Lights Out, is about his father, a refugee from Hitler's Germany as a Jew, being part of the home defense. Hold on, Dr. Arm. We're going to go an extra three minutes because I want to finish this thought. And how important it was, even though his father had a trash can and a broom, that he was part of the effort to fight the Nazis. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 55 minutes after the Air America, wrapping up an extended Hillsdale dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn about the crisis we find ourselves in. Dr. Arn, you were mentioning involving large parts of the American people. I mentioned I interviewed Ted Koppel on Wednesday about his new book, Lights Out. Terrific book. But I did not realize both of his parents were, Euro- were German Jews who fled. They met in England. He was born in 1940. He remembers the war. And he remembers his father going out in the civilian defense. Though he was old and not much use, he had a trash can lint and a broom for when the incendiaries fell. Yeah. That. That meant a lot to Ted Koppel. It meant a lot to his father. They had, uh, in Britain, Churchill makes a lot of this, they had uh, close to two million men in the home guard, never went abroad, right? My wife's father was a lieutenant colonel of a territorial army regiment, which was activated and sent to war to very hard places in all the big wars. But they lived their lives as civilians. And so we need to look, remember, these people are after us, and, there's the, and their strategy is to use the fact that everything, we have great wealth, but everything we do in war is very expensive. So why don't we counter that, see? Because it's the character of our society that we own it, each individual one of us, and we have a motive to defend it. And so it should be cheap and easy to organize the American people to repel these threats. And, and that, you know, there's all kinds of complications in that. But this way, we're losing this war, and we should get ahead and start winning it. And that is why, uh, although we have not talked about uh, Churchill's trial, if you want to know what that means, go get a copy of Churchill's trial, uh, Laura, Dr. Larry Arnn's brand-new book. It's available at hillsdale.edu. It's available at Amazon. It's linked over to com. And it is uh, all that you need to uh, to solve for a very collectively tortured soul. Dr. Arn, safe travel to you from California, wherever you're headed. I hope you're going somewhere cold. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I knew it. You're probably going to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> whenever you do the Hawaii Hillsdale friend raiser, they never ask for money at a Hillsdale event, by the way. Do you? We do not. We do not. You do not. You and just uh, invite people, people give us money because they like it. And, uh, yeah. and if they don't like it, they don't give us money. And then that means we don't have to quarrel with them later. And I'm telling you right now, Hillsdale is Latin for lifeboat. You ought to sign up to get Imprimus at hillsdale.edu. It's a free speech digest. All of these dialogues available at hugh4hillsdale.com. Each and every one of them and all of the online courses, including the online course that is currently wrapping up about Churchill and the one that is about to begin about C.S. Lewis, they are all available for the asking for free for your homeschooling, for your own edification at hillsdale.edu. And, of course, Hugh for hillsdale.com. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Marlon and Nate. Thanks to everyone out there and Ben and to everyone who makes this show possible. Uh, We will have all the transcripts of this and all the other interviews of this week. Stay safe, America. Stay vigilant, but stay free. And we'll be back next week on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.